You're listening to Smart Businesses Do This. And in this episode, I'll reveal my best kept email list secrets. Plus, we hear from the founder of the Traffic and Conversion Summit and digital marketer, Ryan Dice, as he shares the secret source all beginner marketers need to know in order to succeed in the competitive online world. Let's get started. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Today, we have an incredible guest. We have none other than Ryan Dice, who's the founder of the Traffic and Conversion Summit, the founder of Digital Marketer, and so much more. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So you are, you know, in my mind, at least, you're sort of like the, the king of digital marketing. How do you feel about that? Is that something you own? Or? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm that in my mind, too. No, I mean, it's, look, <laughs> marketing as a whole has been around longer than I've been alive. The only thing that, you know, that I've done is maybe apply old school methods that have always worked to a new medium. I think I was fortunate to be born at a really good place in time to go to university at a time when uh, Wi-Fi, high-speed internet had just you know, come into the dorms. So I think I've been very, very lucky. And I think if I've done anything well, it's, it's been distilling complex things into simpler models and frameworks that people seem to like and understand. But uh, king of digital marketing, no, there's plenty of smart people out there and, and definitely standing on the shoulders of giants. I love that. So you were the very first internet sort of like celebrity that I ever learned from. I went to the very first Traffic and Conversion Summit, which was in Austin many, many, many years ago. And uh, that was sort of like my first eye open to the world, I suppose. The, the first one was Austin, right? There wasn't like a, a previous one. So. Yeah, wow. That, yeah, no, that's that's wild. You were, you were at the very first TNC. There's only about 200 people there. It was funny. That was like, uh, you know, when you're in high school and you, you uh, your parents are out of town and you throw a party and like the whole school shows up. You know, that wasn't supposed to be, it was only going to be a one-time event and it was only supposed to be 50 or 60 people. Well, when we thought it was 200, we were, we were just freaked out and shocked and lost all kinds of money. But I guess it worked out. So. Yeah, I still remember all the people that weirdly were like taking their shoes off and sitting in the back of the room on tables, which I, I don't, still don't understand why they did it. But there's a whole bunch of people doing it. Leave your shoes on, people. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so my big question to you is, how did you end up you know, running TNC? How, how, what, where did the idea come from? How did you end up doing all this? Yeah, I mean, so Traffic Conversion Summit really started. I've got to give uh, credit to... Uh, to my, my business partner at the time, uh, Perry Belcher. Perry, uh, you know, we were going to a lot of events. There were tons of marketing events at the time, but they were all just sort of these pitch fest style events where you'd go and somebody would deliver some disguised content and then they'd tell you something at the end. And, and look, there's a place for that. I'm not going to get all like uppity about things, but, you know, we were a little bit frustrated about, about that. And we're, we're thinking, you know, we've got a lot of good stuff to say. And, you know, we did, I think what a lot of people do when they go to events is they, you know, they count the number of heads and they multiply it by how much they paid to be in the room. And they go, these people must be making a fortune. And we said, ah, let's go ahead and do, uh, do our own event. So it really just started out as kind of a, a whim. Figured we'd, again, be able to get 50, 60 people in a room, make a little bit of money. We'd get to talk about some things that were working for us. And, and our main goal was really just to be able to turn it into a product. We were, we, that, that was kind of our, our thinking is if we could turn this into a product, you know, that would be, that would be a good thing. 
Well, at the end of the event, so I remember going the, the like lunch on the third day. So it was a three day event. So lunch on the third day, we met with the hotel and we got the bill and they want to talk about the bill and how much we're going to pay them. And we realized that we had lost an enormous amount of money. And like the amount of money we owed was, a, you know, six figures. And it was, we didn't like, we had it, but we didn't have it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we did what all good marketers do is we went up on stage and we sold tickets to next year's event, figuring surely we'll be, you know, prepared to, uh, you know, surely we'll, we'll make sure that we get our finances in order by the time, you know, the event rolls around in 12 months. And, and so we did. The only reason we sold, uh, the only reason there was a traffic and, and conversion summit too is because we needed to raise some capital <laughs> to pay the bill for traffic and conversion summit one. And uh, we did, you know, obviously we, we fulfilled on that event and, and it grew. And we were really excited. And so we decided that, you know, I I remember saying going into TNC number two, I'm never going to do this again. Never going to do this again. I don't like events. Too stressful. Too much work. Too much risk. And at the end of it, it was so excited. It's like, we're doing it again. And I remember (laughs) just saying it and people going and, you know, buying tickets and it's like, ah, well, now we're now we're committed. And then just rolled on. You know, we I think at uh, year three of Traffic and Conversion Summit, there were about 800 people there. And that was really when we decided, okay, maybe this marketing thing is a business. You know, prior to that, <laughs> Digital Marketer as a company didn't exist. A lot of people don't realize that. Traffic Conversion Summit predated Digital Marketer. And it was on the third day of the third Traffic and Conversion Summit. We said, we should really treat this like a business. You know, as you said, I've got a number of other companies. Kind of the teaching of marketing, the talking about marketing was really a side hustle. It was a side project. But we realized after the third TNC that, you know, there was something here and we should uh, we should invest in it. And that was when Digital Marketer as a media publishing company was born. Uh, and that was when we really decided to... Uh, to double down on on traffic and conversion summit as a as an event and and really as its own business, you know, because as I, I believe you're aware, it was ultimately uh, sold in 2018. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, which is incredible. And now you guys, uh, you're staying on to help with the transition. Do you think you'll be staying on beyond that, or is this just? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We um yeah. So Digital Marketer is still the presenting sponsor for at least the next um you know for five years. So I think we're this will you know for at least another four years. As a part of that, we still do all the programming. So decide kind of who speaks at the event and you know all that. And and you know it's funny. We thought we were going to have to lobby really hard to be able to do that because we didn't one we didn't want to see the event degrade like we wanted to see it continue to be a thing you know and there's aspects of it where you know there's probably some pride and some ego that comes along with that but we also benefit mightily from the platform right it's it's good for my personal brand it's good for digital marketer it's good for other companies that we launch you know to be able to to have this you know now you know nearly 10,000 person event that we can uh, that, that we can leverage and we didn't want to lose that and so we thought we were going to really have to negotiate hard and thankfully um you know, the, the acquirers, they were like, Hey, we don't want to, we, they thought they were going to have to negotiate to kind of keep us on in that role. (laughs) And so it wound up being a a win-win. So the hope is that, um, is that as far as attendees are concerned, you know, it, it doesn't feel any different. I mean, obviously TNC today is very different than it was, you know, the TNC you went to size, scale, the industry's changed the markets, you know, back then it was all entrepreneurs. Now marketing is a profession. Digital marketing is a profession. So there's been changes like that, but, but, you know, our intention is to really continue to be involved in the event, hopefully forever. So I, which I love because I, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously your name specifically is synonymous with uh, traffic and conversion. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan ultimately. So I got a question for you. A young Ryan Dice enters the world of digital marketing today. And he's, he's you as you were back then, but, but he walks into a totally different landscape where, you know, it, it, it's not the Wild West anymore. And it is sort of like, you know, already formed. What would you, what advice would you give to, to a you today? Somebody starting out? 
you know, funny enough, I, I would execute the same playbook that I did when I first got started. That's and cool. um, that was build an email list. And when I first got started online, everybody was building these really fancy, pretty web websites. You know, this is when Flash was all the rage. So, you know, you'd, you'd go to a web page and all of a sudden stuff would start swirling and like almost this little Flash video, animated video thing would play. Like that was the pinnacle of cool. That was what marketing was back then. And before everything got kind of standardized. You know, from the very beginning, I was building really simple websites for the purposes of capturing emails because I knew that if I had somebody's email address, then I had the ability to generate really awareness on demand and not always sales because sometimes the offers bomb, but I could I at least had a shot. If I had my own email database, then I, I knew that I would be okay. And um, so one of the very first things that I ever did was I built a simple one page website. Um, I had people opt in for Back then, it was an e-zine. <laughs> you know, remember <laughs> when newsletters were called e-zines? Yeah. Uh, an, an e-magazine. And so that was how, you know, that was, I, I remember my first goal was to build a list of a thousand people. And because I knew a thousand people, that's a lot. Like I can, I should be able to at least, <laughs> you know, make a couple grand off of that. And, um, you know, if each one of them is only worth a dollar to me a month, that's a thousand dollars. You know, I got started when I was in college. So that was all the money in the world. That would cover rent and beer. And, you know, it's interesting. All There's been a lot of channels that have come along when I first got started you know, we were optimizing for Alta Vista and, you know, Dogpile and, you know, Yahoo was just a directory and Google was a science fair project, right? So, you know, SEO, when I first got started, wasn't really a thing. Social media and Facebook and, you know, Twitter and Instagram and, you know, tick, like all this stuff was, you know, nobody was even thinking about that. You know, this is, you know, I remember when, when that came out and people referred to it as Web 2.0, right? Remember that? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so we, we've seen all these different iterations and all these things come along and people, you know, jump in and go all in on these different channels. But what's funny is when you get successful marketers and you get successful, you know, digital business owners. So folks who are running like digital first companies or companies that, that derive a lot of their sales and needs from the web, what you find is that still everybody's number one source of, you know, of sales, their highest ROI channel is their email list. It has always been the case and it has never changed. And, you know, social was supposed to kill email. Millennials were supposed to kill email. Slack was going to kill email. All these things were supposed to kill email. And where we sit today, email is experiencing a renaissance. Unlike I've, I've seen really in the last decade, you're seeing companies like the hustle and the skim who are coming out with, you know, launching, you know, they're, they're building businesses that are plus figure businesses on the back of a sim, you know, simple email newsletter. We're watching open rates, you know, start to tick up again. And a lot of this is being driven by mobile. The experience of reading an email on your mobile device is actually quite good. And it's not so interruptive and it's more intimate. So if I were starting over again, and the reason I can say that this answer is, is for me not really a hypothetical because we start over again all the time. We launch new businesses and new spaces all the time. If I start were to start over again, and I do, our step one is always let's get 10,000 subscribers. I've upped, you know, I've upped my ask a bit, but that's what we want to do. And we're willing to spend. We're, we're happy. We'll, we'll allocate, you know, $50,000. If it costs us $5 per subscriber, we know that's going to ROI, you know, 90 to 120 days. And then we're off to the races at that okay. point. Uh, so no I love product, anything. I love this. So I've, I've got two, two follow-up questions for you. So full disclaimer, I signed up to an email marketing course two years ago after already having made millions of dollars from email marketing. And it was a guy that was offering the world. He was like, you know, I'm going to give you everything. It's going to be the best thing ever. And he's like, I'll even give you your money back if it doesn't work. So I was like, okay, 
$25,000 to this email marketing course, Ryan, just to wow. put it. Yeah. So I, I dropped 25K because you get your money back, right? I was like, either this makes me millions of dollars or I get 25 grand back, right? It's like, I'm Jewish enough that I'll get my re, right? So I'm like, not worried. About it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I sign up. I'm not sure I'm allowed to laugh at that, but maybe you got to edit out my... To- yeah, you're totally allowed. <laughs> so- okay, cool. So I go to the program and the very first thing he says is just increase the size of your font on your emails. And that was like the big thing. And he's like, if you do that, it will increase your conversions by like 30% or something. And that was it. That was, that was everything else I kind of already knew elsewhere. But have you noticed that? Have you noticed that like the size of your font um, makes a significant difference, which is question one. And then question two is, do you guys offer a course on basic email marketing? So I'll answer the, first, the, um, uh, the second one first. Yes, we have a number of them. So for like lab members, which is lab, lab, digital marketer lab is our, is our subscription thing. We've got loads of, of courses on different aspects of email marketing, whether it's building promo plans or, you know, crafting follow-up campaigns, you know, templates and all, all kinds of stuff like that. So, so yeah, we, we've got a ton on that. We have a, an entire certification and mastery program on email marketing. Um, cause that's such a critical aspect of not just what we do, it's a critical aspect of marketing. So yes, uh, thank you for the opportunity to shamelessly plug. That's a, yeah, well, no, no, I, I'd love that. How If somebody wanted to go and do it, they just Google Digital Marketer Lab or like, is there a, a way for them to go and get it? Because I, Yeah, I, I mean, if you go and check out, go to Digital Marketer, click on the on, on memberships at the top, you can see uh, there's an opportunity to, to join as a lab member. It's a 14-day trial, $95 uh, a month after that, and you get access to basically our entire product catalog. So... So yeah, no, no having to spend 25 grand on courses, um, <laughs> 95 bucks a month and you kind of get everything we got. Teach but the importance the, of increasing but, font size? <laughs> yeah. Well, so funny enough. Um, yeah. And I, I was, had a conversation with our promotions manager as recently as uh, yesterday because I've said a number of times, guys, we used to send it about a 14 point font. We've kind of, we've, we've upped it to 16. I'm like, give me 18 points because most right now, so in, in the state, 40% of e-commerce sales are happening on a mobile device. In China, it's 60%. By 2023, the expectation is that in the States, it'll, and I'm not saying that there's, that the only two countries, by the way, are, are US and China. I'm just giving kind of a, <laughs> given the, if we think about the States, Western Europe is going to more mirror, you know, in Australia, the English speaking countries are going to be similar, comparable to what's happening in the States and Asia and China in particular are actually well ahead with respect to mobile than, than we are here. So, but even here, it's 40%. Uh, happening on a mobile device today of e-commerce sales. By 2023, 63%. In Asia and other countries, it'll probably be closer to 75, 80%. That's kind of what the projections are. Very often, these projections are total horse crap. This is one I actually believe to be true because I look at my own experiences and the experiences of all the normal people around me. And, and a lot of this, if you figure one of the primary drivers of e-commerce sales, you know, retail sales. And, and I just mean the, the primary driver of online purchases. If it, if it is email and email promotions, then obviously ensuring that you are well optimized for a mobile experience is going to be critical for your email. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's good advice. Um, is it worth 25 grand? You know, I, I could see how if somebody's doing good volume, you know, you should make that many times over, I would just have that a blog post though. That's kind of how we roll at the end. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I definitely felt a little bit slighted, but I mean, he recommended we're currently using a font size of 70, like seven zero. That seems, that seems pretty extreme. Um, I, I don't know. I'd have to look at it. Yeah. You know, it's always a balance, but uh, I would say if you're going to err, err on the side of being, err on the side of being larger than you know, then smaller, a lot of it's also demographics. So some of our businesses um, are the average age of a customer is over 50. And so there, I mean, it sounds 
and that is exactly like dangerous. That's exactly where it is because apparently that is like a a common size font size that people would up their screens to once they cross, you know, 50. So, yeah, it is. Look, in the past, I would have said that's not, you know, that's a variable that whispers, not a variable that screams. Mm -hmm. Today, I will say that is a critical variable that you probably should be testing. Also, things like having buttons and emails that are CSS buttons that, you know, are fairly large because clicking on little bitty links can be difficult with an email. So you have to think in a, when you think about your email marketing, you have to think in a mobile first environment. But I will tell you, I believe that, I believe that email is back. Nobody's talking about it. It never really went away. Nobody's talking about it because it isn't, it isn't the cool, sexy thing, right? It's not TikTok. It's not machine learning. <laughs> um, it's, it's not all the stuff, but it is, it's still what drives the vast majority of, uh, of online transactions. I love that you're saying it. I, I actually, I never moved away from it. And you're right. When I first built my business, my very, I went to the, uh, the Traffic and Conversion Summit because I had an $8 ebook and it wasn't selling. And ever since then, my entire business has been built on email. And I, it's funny, I can tell if the people working with my email are doing it correctly or not based on my bank balance at the end of each month. I like, I, I can see yeah. it, like it dips a bit and I'm like, somebody didn't send an email this month. Yeah. What, one of the things we noticed, and this is kind of another takeaway, we, I'll tell you an area where we really screwed up. And I mean, really, really screwed up at some point, And I remember when it happened, it happened around 2009, 2010, when content marketing, blogging, inbound, when it really was starting to come in vogue, uh, we decided that we should stop sending out email newsletters. Uh, we're like, this is stupid. This is passe. We need to take this content and put it up on our blog. And, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll tell, we'll, we might send an email saying, hey, we posted something over here, go read it. But we stopped putting content directly in the inbox. And instead, email simply became a an announcement mechanism for content or value that was elsewhere. And we found that our, you know, open rates, which were, you know, steady, you know, 30, 40%, you know, in mass, like, uh, you know, over overall and on certain segments would, you know, could be, you know, north of 50, 60%. It dropped to 20%, 15%, sub 10%. And that's when, you know, I kind of hit the freak out button and we're thinking, oh, we've got deliverability issues, uh, you know, list fatigue, nobody likes us anymore. Uh, and then we just started sending out a weekly email newsletter again. We started just saying, here's some content. You don't have to click anywhere to get it. We started putting the content in feed. And lo and behold, within about 60 days, our open rates across the board were back up over 30% again, because we gave people a reason uh, to open and consume our emails. And we didn't, you know, send less promotions. We just started, you know, sending out a, a weekly email newsletter again. And it, uh, and it made all the difference. And I think we understand that. Like, if, if the only way you, if you just use Facebook, you know, to link off to stuff that's on your blog, or you only use LinkedIn to link off to stuff, you're not going to have the same impact is if you post the content in the channel directly in the feed, you know, post it organically. Yeah. Same with, you know, obviously Instagram, right? I mean, if, if you're, if you're not posting, you know, images, you know, pictures in Instagram, if you're just posting like, you know, pictures of links that people should, it's, you're, you know, you're an idiot, right? Everybody kind of knows this, but for some reason we forgot that people actually want to consume content in their inbox. And if you do that, they'll actually start opening your emails again. It, it's weird. You, you know what? You just gave me a huge golden nugget that I'm going to share. And I think this is why it's so important to, you know, talk to people like yourself and, and your partner, Roland, and, you know, all the other wonderful people that we get to have on the podcast. I just realized that whenever we create content, we create it from our core page on Facebook specifically, and then we share it to our groups. And it never gets the same engagement as when I upload a unique piece of content to the group. And in my head, I'm always trying to work out why it is. And you just gave it to me. It's because I clicked share instead of uploading it uniquely. Yeah. And, and so on, 
in social, that's happening algorithmically. Like, so we know if, if you post an article, you know, if, if you post something in LinkedIn, for example, and there are no links in there, it, more people will see it. And the same is true in Facebook, although less so, because in Facebook now nobody sees anything unless you pay for it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, right, like that's right now, LinkedIn is kind of the social uh, platform that's acting the most pure. If you don't put if you don't put a link in there, more people will see it than if you do. And, you know, while LinkedIn would never you know, admit this, I, I believe that that they are giving more reach. You know, they're giving more engagement to uh, the people who are keeping folks on their site. It just makes sense. Of course, yeah. they're doing that. Why? Well, I, I don't even I'm not I ain't mad. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. But also, if as a user, I'm scrolling LinkedIn. I want to I want to see it there. I don't want to click and go somewhere else. And I got to come back like you're giving them extra steps. And uh, and so I think you got to give where we are today is there are a lot of different channels out there. And what you have to do is you have to give value first in those channels, period. Mm-hmm. Give value in those channels. And as long as you've got your retargeting set up, as long as you you know offer enough, you know, maybe once they consume it down in the comments, you give people a chance to click on whatever tactic happens, they'll come back around. But you got to give value in channel. You got to give value in feed. I I, yeah, I love this. I, I literally, this is great. This is one of those things I'm going to like go away and implement instantly because that, that's going to make a huge difference. So now my, my content team on this. All right. So Brian, I, I look forward to my $25,000 check. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I actually, you know, I, I will say this. There's, you know, one event every year that I would never miss and it is the Traffic and Conversion Summit. I preach about it from the rooftops. I tell everyone, I don't care. If you, you know, if you have a business, I don't care what business it is, you should go. If nothing else to, to rub shoulders, I get so much value from coming in the room. And, you know, honestly, I really only go to listen to to Roland and to you um, and sometimes the keynote. I don't go for any other reason. Um, just the value I get from you guys alone is usually more than enough to warrant the price of the ticket. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And we, we try, man. We put a lot into it. We, uh, I work all year to be able to give a couple of sessions that uh, give a couple of talks at TNC. They're going to be worth people's time. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, they are. They're, they're always packed about it. I love it. So, so here you go, guys. You know, if you're listening to this and you, you really want to get, you know, the content that everybody else is stealing and then charging a lot more money for, you know, go to Digital Marketer and get labs because it, it really is great. I mean, I've been a subscriber for God knows how long. Um, and it is really good stuff. And every time I talk to you, I'm like, I should just use that more often because I do get caught up in these schemes for everybody else and spend $25,000 on something that I probably shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a, good, there's a good chance we have something, you know, better that you're already paying for. So yeah, you yeah, should at that, least check there first. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> that's so true. And uh, you know, and uh, one final thing before we before we lose you, Ryan, if you wouldn't mind, what's like a simple psychological hack that you have to to help somebody be more successful or you know build their business? Yeah, can I give you two? Yeah, yeah, you can. There's two things that I've done in the last couple of years, and I've been doing both of these now for for over two years each. And these two things have had the biggest impact on my on my productivity. Uh, the first is I'm, I I keep a, a planner. And obviously, I write down kind of what are the things that I want to get done that day. I think that's nothing really new there. But what I do is I, I document every single day uh, how I spent that day. So I'll go through like, so, you know, for this time, I will, I will actually, you know, block out from the time we started until the time we finished doing this podcast that I was on this podcast. The, you know, forcing myself and getting in the habit of documenting my day, it's given me tremendous insights on how I spend my time. I can actually go back and look and I can learn. But, you know, you mentioned psychological hack. When I know, like I now know, this is just something I do. I don't want to just put a bunch of question marks in like saying, I don't remember what I did then. Or I don't want to put in a large block of something that I know 
that I know wasn't very good, when I have to write it down and, and I have what I wrote staring right back up at me, I want it to be meaningful. I want it to be work that was effective and that I'm, you know, and that I'm really proud of. And when I first started doing this before the habit was formed, I'd go back and there'd be whole blocks of the day where it's like, I don't remember what I did. And if you don't remember what happened during a chunk of the day or whole days at a time, it's because nothing significant was done. You know, we remember that when we got married and when our kids were born, we remember the significant dates and moments of our lives. If you don't remember it, it's because it wasn't significant. So that's been the first kind of thing. And it's good for productivity, good for accountability, but it's also that, that psychological hack. And I'll tell you, the second is just every single day, I block out a single hour where I'm going to work. And I only require myself to work one hour per day. If I work one hour in a day, then I allow myself to say it was a good day. And I know going into it, what is the hour that I'm absolutely going to work? If I'm not feeling that, I choose, choose to screw off the rest of it. Or if life happens and I miss it, you know, that's fine. And sometimes the hour has to shift throughout the day. But I make sure that I only work, that, that, that I can say I worked a single hour this day. And I'll tell you, if I can get that hour in in the morning, it's amazing how often a focus block that is an hour will turn into two, into three, into four. And I'll look up and it's like, wow, why am I hungry? Huh? Two, <laughs> when you just get in that flow state. And it's also amazing. You know, I used to beat myself up over, you know, not being productive and not having a lot of focus time. I can get a tremendous amount of really high leverage work done in an hour. And um, if in a given week, if I only got five hours of work, what I found is that five hours of actual like real work is I'll get more done in that time than most people get in a, a week of quote unquote full work. So Ryan, I, I love that you're saying this. There's so much, um, so much that I that resonates with me in that I get up every morning before everybody else wakes up and I go to Starbucks. And the reason I go to Starbucks is that I travel a lot and it doesn't matter where I'm in the world, there's almost always a Starbucks and it's the same environment, the same music, and it looks the same. So it's like my office away from home. And I do exactly what you said. I sit down and I just work on my own. And I like it. There's no distractions. No one else is awake. And it's funny, just like you, I don't sit there. I, I don't have a set time, but I sit there and say, okay, I'm going to work until I don't want to work anymore. And I'll do it for at least, you know, 30 minutes and, and see how I feel. And yeah, I, I resonate with that so much. I think that's, that's been the key to my own success over the last few years as well. So, you know, for, for those of you guys listening, this is like the magic source. I'm telling you, this is, this is the reason why Ryan's so successful without a doubt. And so I love that. Thanks, um, yeah, no, thank you so much. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. To celebrate the launch of this show, we're giving away one free membership to our Smart Blueprint program and some of my favorite business books to five lucky listeners who follow, review, and share the podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You can find the exact steps on how to enter in the show notes below. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.